Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK, WKOK.com, SteveJonesShow.com, and Sean Carey. We will hear from Steve in just a moment from the Sunbury Motor Studio, Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai, North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia on the strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And we invite you to subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. You'll find it on iTunes, your Apple Podcast app, Google Play, search Steve Jones Show. Shows will automatically drop to your mobile device after they air live on WKOK. And, of course, you can always find three months of shows archived at stevejonesshow.com. We're on Facebook. Give us a like. We're on Twitter. Give us a follow. Twitter handle at stevejonespsu. And also stevejonesshow.com, of course. Our email, stevejones at wkok.com. Be with you live till 5. Have some Penn State football conversation. Pittsburgh Steelers conversation, too. And then after five, our late-day news roundup with Matt Catrillo. And then we will head for Citizens Bank Park tonight for Phillies baseball. With first pitch at around seven, Aaron Nola and the Phillies facing the Nats for the final time this season. Nola, a Cy Young candidate looking for his fourth win in five tries. Against Steven Strasburg tonight, 7-7, seven seven, 4.04 ERA for the Nats. Has to be one of the roughest, lowest points of the whole season yesterday. Yesterday was the day where the Phillies were able to make hay against the Braves and drop not only one, but two games to the Nationals, including a pair of home runs in the nightcap late last night by Juan Soto. The Nats winning the nightcap 7-6 in 10. Phillies are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games, 11-22 and 22 since August the 5th. That's the worst in the National League, and they're now six Awful. games back behind the Braves. Awful. Yeah. Terrible. No, terrible. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 fire them. No. Fire, no, no, they need to fire people. That's it. It's the only solution when you get into something like this. You need to fire people. Just kidding. Actually, <laughs> you know, that's not my style. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the word fire, I, I will say this. And by the way, how are you? It's been a while. Um, I'm doing great, thank good, you. Good, good. Um, I think that's the thing with Gabe Kapler. I think just that, that positivity that he exudes, press conference after press conference, I just wonder, and you, and you just hope it's going to happen behind closed doors, and it probably has, but you just wonder when he is going to light, light a fire, <laughs> light a fire under some of these players and say, hey, this is go time. Let's go. 
he may have done that. Just they don't have enough. They don't have enough in the tank to win. Yeah, look, they've, they've spent an entire summer playing with house money. Okay, house money's a really cool thing to be in. Okay, and if they were surging to get within six games, people would be sitting there saying, "Oh, boy, look out next year!" You know, we're sl-. in reality they're still slightly ahead of schedule. I mean, did anybody expect there'd be six games out of first place? On September 12th, back in February? The problem is, for four months, they spoiled all of you. (laughs) And maybe themselves. So. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well. Ah. Look, they'll be all right. They'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. But we'll have is that there, for you tonight here on yeah. WKOK. So. I mean, is there a football game tonight? It's, come on, it's Wednesday. No, tomorrow. <laughs> we'll have Thursday no, night. Uh, we'll have Thursday night football. We've got Ravens-Bengals tomorrow the, the night Bengals on The Bengals and the Ravens. The Bengals and their Ravens, to their credit, will barely draw a rating in Cincinnati and Baltimore. <laughs> they have no nat- – neither one has any national appeal whatsoever. None. And, and really, Ravens fans don't say, oh, yes, we do. You know, no, you don't. <laughs> okay? There are not closet Raven fans out there in St. Louis. Not happening. I'll watch no. for a while tomorrow night for just to see what Lamar Jackson will do. That's pretty well, much it. Yeah, everybody wants to see what Lamar Jackson's going to do. That's I, pretty much it. He's an interesting player. There's no question about that. Give him time. He'll get there. Um... I don't know. I want to see, uh, to be honest with you, I want to see how he does. I mean, I, I'm not going to say he's going to get there. Cause... I mean, he's not thrown into a scenario like in Buffalo where Josh Allen, hey, it's your time to shine. Here you go. With no, He's got no competition in his there is rear no view net mirror. There. there is no <laughs> Look. Is, Pe- is, Pe- a... is Peterman still in the squad? <laughs> I don't know. All, I know. all I know is this. They had a really good situation there because Tyrod Taylor had been the quarterback. They made the playoffs last year with him. Now, the idea of drafting Josh Allen is that Tyrod Taylor is good enough to manage games and get you to maybe a playoff. He's not good enough to take you beyond that. Okay, it's simple as that. So they wanted to draft somebody else. They thought they can do that. That's fine. Right? That's perfectly fine. I get that. Uh, And when you look at it, but they shouldn't have traded him. In other words, he's the perfect guy that could break in the other guy. I mean, that's what you 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 know you take your veterans, you break them in. I mean, look look at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat what four years? Four years behind Brett Favre, and when it came time to play, he was ready. I mean, he was ready. And that weekend he got drafted, he just sat in the draft room. It probably felt to him, it probably felt like four years till he finally, <laughs> right till he finally got the call. <laughs> yeah, well, no, exactly. But James Franklin was there when this was happening. You know, remember James was the wideout coach at Green Bay. Uh, so he saw the patience needed on the part 
of Rodgers while playing behind. And when it came time, Rodgers was ready. Now, you know, hey, look, we're paying these guys a lot of money. you got to pay him, play him now. And part of it, too, is is like Jared Goff comes in and Goff goes out and does well. Carson Wentz comes out, does well. Okay. And that puts more pressure on everybody else to start playing early. So, you know. I mean, that's where we are. And there is a way to do this. I don't know. It's There's a way to do it. People try to cut corners with it. Can't cut corners with it. And uh, you have to have some common sense as to what you're doing. You know, you know what Buffalo did had no common sense. What did they get out of that deal? I mean, nothing. And that's I mean, what they get out of it. I mean, it's, it's it's really weird how many like non-common sense deals are made. Yeah. By the way, tomorrow on the show, we'll have our high school preview. Now, is it going to be Zach Showers again? You betcha. Okay, Greg Wetzel. In like Flynn. And then, I don't know, is it going to be like the Shikolimi Fan of the Week, or who, who are we going to go? That could be a good promotional concept, yeah. Well, it be more dependable. <laughs> <laughs> Suitable so this tomorrow. Are you sure? I'm sure. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, we think so. That's why. Yeah. <sighs> Rally in the Valley, Friday night. Shikolami at Seals Grove. Got you covered on both angles on that. Well, somebody's got to win. Right. <laughs> That's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I don't know. Boy, there was a uh, huge accident here this morning, like on the other you know, you, I mean, you know where my house is, right? Sure do. And, and you know the highway is very close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the accident, right, yeah. yeah, the accident was right here. Ugh. Fog, fog, fog related this morning? I don't think so. I think it's speed related. Uh, it was it was awful. They shut down the highway in both directions. They had a little more heavy rain coming in this morning, so I don't know. Maybe it was a. I don't know. No really rain. No hydroplaning. No, I don't think. I don't think that had anything to do with it. I. 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 You know, because there's a big curve near my house, to the point where I mean, if you want to know about where my house is, when you're on 322, um. Coming in from Harrisburg, uh, there's a sign warning you. you <laughs> there's a big curve coming up. Oh my goodness! That's uh, what the sign says. Yo, curve coming up. <laughs> with that's flashing, what with flashing lights on top. <laughs> yeah. Also, now I get up. I'm like, I'm going down. The, I'm like, I go to make a right turn. 
and there's trees. I'm like, what the heck is this mess? And all of a sudden, I'm going down the road. I'm like, everything's blocked. It was bad. I have to get you an update on that. Because uh, there were deep concerns about the outcome for some people from that accident. Uh, Neil Kulong, by the way, today. We'll talk with him about the Steelers. Um, the Steeler game. Did I ever tell you the Harvard-Yale joke? I don't think I've heard that. Okay. Um, Yale had a dominant, dominant team under Carm Koza in the late 60s. Grand Hill's father, Calvin Hill, was the tailback. Brian Dowling, if you ever read Doonesbury, you see BD. Well, that's Brian Dowling. He was the quarterback. And they had a really good tight end who was drafted by the uh, Miami Dolphins, Bob Weinauer. So he had Calvin Hill, first-round pick, Dallas Cowboys. Brian Dowling, fourth-round pick, uh, Minnesota Vikings. Bob Weinauer, third-round pick of the Miami Dolphins. This is all on an Ivy League team, okay? And they have this long winning streak. And they go up, final game of the year. They refer to it as the game Harvard-Yale. Okay. So they go up there, and Yale is winning the game. 29-14. to 14 With... Um, like a little bit more than a minute to go. Now, the most famous player on the Harvard team is Tommy Lee Jones. He's the starting left guard, okay, the actor. And and the... Um, and Harvard goes down... And with, I don't know, 40 seconds to go, scores. Kicks an extra points, 29-21. Harvard then executes an onside kick. Boom. Drives down. Last play of regulation, scores. Goes for two, scores. Ties the game, 29. Harvard Crimson Newspaper. Monday. Harvard beat Yale, 29-29. Right? That's about the state. It's probably the Cleveland Plain Dealer should have done on Monday with the Steelers game. Browns beat Steelers 21-21. I know you don't like that. I don't understand why you why you don't think that that's a funny joke. I was laughing inside. I mean, you just I mean, <laughs> if it would have been the Bengals. Oh, absolutely! I'd been out of my chair. Hysterical. Or the Ravens. If it'd been them. <laughs> This is one area where you and the suit commiserate. Now, you have a lot of common sense until the two of you start talking about the Steelers. And, <laughs> and then all bets are off. <laughs> common sense gets flushed. Yeah. All right, we'll take a break. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, Ben Jones, StateCollege.com. Next half hour, Neil Kulong at 4.06 today. Great to have you on board. Phillies will play tonight, trying to somehow get this ship righted, if it's possible. Uh, you said Gabe Kaplan, uh, Gabe Kapler continues to be um, 
positive about everything, and I'm positive about things too. Things are, I'm positive things aren't going well. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I just wow. kept looking at the score bug last night when it was five three, and I'm thinking, you know, Jake was already out in the fifth, and I just, I said, something's gonna happen. I said, just, I'm just, it's just too close for comfort. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Um... It's hard when you feel like your team can't get going down the stretch. And that's that that's hard for any fan to take. It's one thing when your team is surging, you okay, they give you hope, you're excited. But then when they fade down the stretch, I mean everybody feels helpless. And then you start expecting the worst. Great. Start expecting the worst. Well, you don't do that with this show. That's right. You don't expect the worst. We'll have maybe a a valley moment uh, about, mm, I don't know, 346, 347 tomorrow. But that only lasts five minutes and one question. (laughs) Stop laughing. That was good, yes. Stop laughing. All right. Bottom of the hour, Ben Jones, next half hour. StateCollege.com. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sunbury Motors Ford knows many of you will be heading to the Bloomsburg Fair, so they need to sell cars now. Sunbury Motors is going to price all new Fords at a level that makes it impossible to say no. You'll be feeling great driving to the fair in a 2018 Ford Escape for only $18,820. Sunbury Motors has to sell seven new Fords every day from now till the Bloomsburg Fair. Back of the family in your 2018 Explorer. Explorers start under thirty grand at SMC, and they have 20 to choose from. Every Edge, Focus, Fusion, Fiesta, Echo Sport will be discounted for SMC to sell seven new Fords every day from now till the fair. Sunbury Motors has 70 new F-150s marked down to as low as $25,969 and just announced 0% for 72 months on F-150s. You'll save thousands over the term of your loan. SMC needs seven sales every day before the Bloomsburg Fair. We'll see you at Sunbury Motors Ford in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Patiently waiting in Milesburg is Don. Hi, Don. How are you today? Thanks for your patience. Hi, Steve. Don Bowman from Mifflinburg. Hey, great to hear from you, Don question I have for you, sir. I noticed at the Penn State pit game on Saturday evening that none of the Penn State players used gloves in that very, very wet environment. Yep. Um, on Sunday uh, up in Cleveland, the Steelers, even the linemen had gloves on. Uh, is there some type of prohibition the NCAA has in regard to use of gloves? No, they do not. Uh, but uh, this is why, and I've noticed that Saquon Barkley was the first guy I ever noticed this, Don, that when it rained in practice, he wouldn't wear gloves. And I thought, okay, it's interesting. If you've ever, I don't know, have you ever had the opportunity to shake the hand of a player wearing a glove or any of that stuff? 
If you do, uh, you'll no, say, no, I have not. Okay. Well, <laughs> that new Stefan Diggs commercial for Geico, where like everything sticks to his hands, that's uh-huh. about the way it is with those gloves, except okay. when it gets wet. When it gets wet, they get slick. And because of that, a lot of players prefer to not wear gloves, at least the Penn State players, prefer not to wear them when it's really raining because they feel like the gloves get slick. So that's the reasoning behind it. Now, did Penn State drop some balls? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they uh, do they did. Do the option of putting the gloves back on? Yeah, they do. But I think they just felt better because it was pouring out based on their experiences in practice to not wear them in the game. Okay. I thank you for the response. Appreciate your putting me on. Uh, my pleasure, Don. Thanks for listening and calling. We appreciate it. Yeah, have a good day. Yeah, he brings up a really good question because um, it's something I noticed in practice a few years ago in watching guys that when it rained, they didn't want to wear gloves. They didn't want to do it. Uh, and it's there's no prohibition on it in college. Uh, it's just, you know, what is best? Is it best for you to wear gloves in the rain? Cause, and what happens is that on a dry day, those things, you know, the old days of um, Fred Bolitnikoff would stick them all over his socks and everything. And right, Well, these gloves are very much like that. But the problem is when it rains, then these things slicken up pretty good. And so some players prefer not to wear gloves. They prefer not to do it when it's uh, pouring out. Now, some people, I mean, I can remember Saquon one day in practice, raining, and didn't wear gloves, but he didn't have the greatest day for the first 20 minutes with catching passes, things like that. So he then switched off the gloves because he thought, okay, look, maybe this is the way to go. So it just depends on how it feels to the player at the time and it's their judgment as to whether they wear them or not. But uh, there is no prohibition on it, and Don asked a great question. Okay. Let's get to BenJonesStateCollege.com, get his perspective on everything. Ben, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. I'm a little soggy, but no complaints otherwise. I understand that. Um well, I want to go two parts of this. One, I want to go with the game itself. Then I'll get to the post-game stuff with you. Uh, in terms of the game itself, you're looking for a game one to game two improvement out of a team that you're going to watch every game. So that's Penn State. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think you saw exactly that. You saw a Penn State team that took some strides in some areas, I think, uh, offensively. At times, they looked a little more coherent, and at times, they still looked like a team that's figuring some things out defensively, I think. Uh, you know, Pitt was able to, to have some big chunk plays, but I think ultimately these are guys that are getting more comfortable in the system, especially the younger guys. Having Kevin Givens back was a huge thing. Um, you know, so ultimately, you know, six points speaks for itself, 51 points speaks for itself. Um, in terms of week one to week two improvements, I definitely think you saw that just with the general, you know, the, everything looked more coherent, looked a little smoother. Um, there's still work left to be done, but I think there's no doubt, uh, you know, you saw a team that was a little bit more confident and seemed to play that way, you know, maybe more so than they did in week one. And what did you think of special teams? Um, you know, that's an area I thought it was kind of funny that they, you know, they had talked about, uh, you know, kicking field goals later in the season from a longer distance. And then you, know, you go into a game where you've got to kick, uh, you know, game tying extra points. So that there's really a lot of confidence there. 
um, to go out and try that 45-yarder. You know, it, that was, those were tough conditions to kick in. Um, but I thought, you know, DeAndre Tompkins is a guy who maybe has not been involved in the receiving game as much as he would like. Um, you know, for him to have that punt return, you know, that one, you could kind of see it coming before it even happened. Uh, you know, I thought kickoff coverage, especially after week one, was a lot better. Um, and they really haven't had any issues with kickoffs themselves. So, you know, there were, there were strides all over the place there. Um, you know, you'd like to make your 45-yarders, but, you know, you imagine that that's probably a little bit easier to do when it's not pouring, the ground isn't wet, and, you know, the wind's not blowing and all the things like that. <laughs> yeah, it was all of that and more. What about the postgame? What what mood w- was struck in the postgame? And who, I mean, did you hear anybody from, from Pitt at all, or did you just concentrate on Penn State? Um, I mean, we were waiting for James, so I got to watch a little bit of Pat Narduzzi down the hallway, and I always thought it was funny is not probably the right word but he's a guy that's you know he's got that sort of uh you know i don't know how many how familiar you are with wrestling but sort of a paul Heyman-esque ability to sell these games and and really hype everything up and then afterwards he kind of you know acknowledges what it was which is you know penn state was a far better team Uh, they played a lot better they looked like they were better coached, and that that falls on him i think james you know did he enjoy winning that game by as much as they did I'm, i'm sure that was not a mistake um but you know at the same time he's been a guy that's been pretty even keel after big wins and big losses so i i think you know you saw a tone from him he looked confident he looked like a guy who just won 51 to 6 but he has never really been one to rub it in people's faces at least you know once they get off the field uh and uh, the players reaction what to, you know what was the mood of the players when you had a chance to be around them compared to the mood that you had being around them the week before um, you know, I think Trace McSorley is probably a good example of a guy who, you know, they talk about taking things one week at a time and not really looking ahead. But he, you know, when you ask him if this win was nice, you know, he smiled and, and sort of, you know, looked back at 2016 when they, you know, almost came back and won that game. I think he's been waiting a long time to finally get back out there. So I, I think there was a lot more confidence from him. Not that he's ever lacked confidence, but just sort of a feeling of, you know, this, this offense is figuring it out. Um, some of these new guys are figuring out what their roles are. K.J. Hamler has always been a character for the little that we had done before this year. Um, you know, he, he reminds me and everyone, I imagine, like Marcus Allen. Um, you know, so I think there's confidence. I think they sort of understand that, you know, they have work left to do and that this team is not uh, where it wants to be just yet. And I think the fact that they know, even though they haven't talked about it, the fact that they know that, Ohio State is at the end of the month that they sort of have a finite amount of time to get things together. So I think you're seeing growing confidence from this bunch. But at the same time, uh, there's sort of an acknowledgement that, you know, they've got a lot of room to to make up if they want to be able to beat Ohio State, and they've got a lot of developing to do in the next two weeks to be able to win that game. Young players have had to assume a lot of roles on this team. How have you felt now watching two weeks of some of the younger players out there? Um, you know, I think they've gone from looking like younger guys to less younger guys. It's just sort of this gradual uh, maturation process. I thought Micah Parsons actually played a pretty solid game after, you know, you kind of figured the first game and that was the case that he'd be in and out sort of, you know, where they needed him because there's that balance between, uh, you know, a guy who's never really played linebacker going out there and figuring it out on the fly. But his athleticism, his ability, I think I mentioned to somebody in the press box that, you know, Mike is a guy that can be out of a play, but he's never out of a play. His his athleticism and speed and quickness kind of, you know, will make up for any errors that he has. So I think you see a lot of these guys, you know, Castro Fields isn't necessarily new or younger, um, but he was in there for 
for John Reed a lot, and I thought he played pretty well. So I think you're seeing guys becoming more confident. That really just comes with playing. And there's really, you know, we talked to James during the week about them force-feeding them experience and, and sort of trying to accelerate this process of getting a lot of these younger guys in there. Uh, but nothing makes Jesse Lucetta better than playing an actual football game. Nothing makes Micah Parsons better than actually playing a football game. And I think you see as these guys get their reps that, you know, all the talent we hear about um, is sort of slowly but surely finding its way into uh, production and consistency. Uh, you know, two games against two teams that are of varying levels of skill are not the same thing as beating Wisconsin and Michigan State and Ohio State, but certainly, uh, you know, you're seeing guys that are getting their feet under a uh, more and more each week. Was there a domino effect to having Kevin Givens back? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I don't know if you watched the Sunday night game last night, but you see a guy uh, like Matt comes out there and, and his ability to change a defense, and not to say that Kevin Givens and Khalid Mack are the same player, but, you know, it, it is it puts people in the places they want to be. It gives you another guy that you have to deal with if you're an offensive line, and he's just such a force inside that, you, you have to respect him, and I think because of that, um, you know, it just makes things easier. It's a little bit like, you know, the Saquon effect on the other side, and not to say that you know, Kevin Givens is Saquon either, um, that, you know, it just opens the door for a lot of different guys to succeed when you have a guy that's that good in there. It really gives them the defensive front that they want. Uh, Sharif Miller is able to play with a little, fewer guys on him. It kind of reminds me of uh, – you know, we, we talk a lot about how good Carl Nassib was a few years ago. Right. And really, you know, one of the things he would attribute to it was just the fact that there were so many guys on that line that had to be, you know, you had to pay attention to that somebody was going to have to get those sacks. And it was him. So I think Kevin Givens is a good example of a guy that you put him inside, people have to pay attention to him, and it kind of opens the door for everybody else around him. How have you felt about the defensive depth? And I ask that because they're going to face an offense that's going to want to put the pedal to the floor and run as many plays as possible this week. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's probably a good thing and a bad thing if you're Penn State to say that, you know, there's a lot of depth because I don't think they've solidified a lot of their answers yet. So they're going to play a lot of guys, you know, maybe not on the defensive front, but in general just out there because they're still figuring out who they want. But I think generally, you know, we've seen over the past few years Penn State's ability to rotate lines and be able to rotate linebackers in, and we've seen that early this year that they'll have, you know, it's almost like hockey with some of these line shifts. Uh, or line changes, rather. So I, I think, you know, you feel good if you're Sean Spencer. You feel good if you're Brent Pry. Um, you know, I think some of these combinations are working a little better than others, but at the same time, uh, you know, guys like Jan Johnson and Cam Brown have got to be out there when you need them. Um, you just got to be able to create that depth behind him. And I think you know, Jesse Lucetta and Micah Parsons are a good example of guys that have made strides in that depth area because I think in a lot of places, Penn State has answers, but they don't know if they're the best answer they have, so they sort of bounce between playing a lot of guys because they have to and playing a lot of guys because that's how they rotate. So I, I think they feel pretty good, and I think, uh, you know, Kent State's another example of a good team that, you know, maybe it's not going to be quite as dramatic as the App State game, uh, but certainly is going to give you another look to kind of get you prepared for what they're going to see in Big Ten play. Ben, how have you felt about the tight end play? Um, you know, I thought it was funny because he's, you know, both of those guys are guys that, you know, are not Mike Kosicki by any stretch, or at least they haven't been asked to be that. But I think, uh, you know, you think about how Mike's career started and the drops that he had, sort of the ups and downs, and really, you know, Danny Dalton has gone out there, Jonathan Holland's gone out there, and they've, they've made the catches that people have asked them to make. They've, you know, you haven't been like Trace got sacked because the tight end, you know, didn't pick up a block or something like that. So I think, uh, 
you know, I imagine that they want to get the tight end more involved as the season goes along in terms of what they do offensively and their threats down the field because, you know, when Penn State's offense was the best when Gasicki was around, it was just an ability to have him being a part of the passing game as well. They haven't really leaned on those guys tons, but I think to their credit, when they've asked them to do something, they've been able to do it. And really, you know, at the end of the day, you got to execute your, your responsibility and your job, and these guys, uh, for the most part, have done it so far this year. Ben, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Yep, thanks for having me, Steve. Ben Jones, StateCollege.com. Next half hour, Neil Kulong, USA Today on the Steelers. Come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by our good friends at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummels Wharf on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to have you with us. Uh, I think Don and Mifflinburg asked a great question about the gloves because you know what? That's a really hard call, and I did bring this up on Monday show. It's, it's, I, it's just a really hard call for receivers and running backs as to what to do, um, and that is, I mean. <sighs> Party who wants to wear gloves, party who's like, yeah, I'm not so sure, and yeah, go from there. I think it's, even depending uh, on the player's mental toughness. I mean, if you're dropping one ball after another with your gloves on, maybe they just think, oh man, I'm I'm never going to catch a glove. I'm never going to catch one with these on. I'm just going to take them right off and not even well, give it a try. I guess that depends yeah. on the player. Uh, if part of it depends on the success they've had during the week with the doggone thing. Um. Because you know, James. Now they didn't go outside yesterday, right? They did not. Okay, they went inside. And the re- the only reason they went inside yesterday, and you know, is is not because of weather, but because there's a major concern they're going to tear the practice fields apart because they're just so soaked. Because you know, James always laughs. And he you know he'll tell you know the team keeps looking at the indoor complex all the time. They're like, okay, you know. We're going to use it, right? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to use it. <laughs> now, yesterday they did use it so because they were worried about that. But if whenever he gets a chance to go outside, he goes outside. If it's raining, there's so many times that I have stood there in the rain. And the reason being, quite simply, is that he wants his team to practice in conditions where when they get to conditions, it is no big deal. That's no big deal at all. Uh, and so when they out, went out and they played in the rain the other night, you know, Penn State, Penn State acted like they didn't care. Reason is they practice in the rain all the time. They don't. They, they don't get coddled inside. The only time he really does like a series of extensive practices indoors, is he'll do it for the bowl game. The reason they'll do it for the bowl game is simple. Let's say the Fiesta Bowl last year. Uh, the game was played indoors, so what does it matter? I know it's on grass, but it was still played indoors. They don't open the roof for that game. Why? I don't know. 75 degrees, sunny skies, not a cloud anywhere. But that's okay. Yeah. So the bowl game, he'll practice indoors. I mean, that's where you can get your, you know, you can get work done and go from there. But he always practices outdoors. If you can. And that includes the rain. There's so like I said, there's a number of times I've stood out there and it has been boring. 
Okay. Because he wants them to get used to doing it. Everybody talks about how anytime something goes wrong, you always hear about coaching, coaching, coaching. Somebody came up to me and they said, that onside kick against Appalachian State, that's just bad coaching. I said, I said, really? I said, I said, I didn't notice you at practice at all. Yeah, what about it? I said, they practiced that exact kick for two straight weeks. They, the players just, when it came time, they didn't execute it right. I said, they were absolutely prepared for it. I said, because the same onside kick was used against special teams for two straight weeks. Oh. Okay. So. And, uh... Uh, all you got Auburn LSU this weekend. That might be the best game of the weekend. I know a lot of people are here, and I'm going to watch TCU Ohio State because obviously I want to see more of Ohio State play for obvious reasons. And they're going up against reputationally. Gary Patterson normally has very good defenses at TCU. In a couple of years he's had near great defenses, but for the most part he's had very good defenses. That's fine. So now you get a chance to, you know, at least against a team that you think is good defensively, going up against Haskins and and company with uh, Ohio State, and that's a Saturday night game. I am so thrilled that is that this game with Kent State is a noon game. Can't begin to to tell you how much. Uh, I mean, I think everyone knows that we do the TV show. Uh, Todd Sadowski, Jay, and I do the show. And there's a segment we do at the end entitled The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and we rotate every week about who does The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Every time Todd Sadowski gets the good, I always refer to him as the angelic one. Todd Sadowski is about as... I mean, he's like Sean. He's like Sean. Okay? He's about as nice a person as you'd ever want to find to the face of the earth. I mean, Sean and Todd are like the same guy in terms of just how nice and what good people they are. So every time Todd gets the good, I always refer to him as the angelic one, and I mean it as a compliment just to have some fun. Well, I had the bad this week. And on the bad, I said Friday night games. I, I don't uh, – this – I'm going to say it ahead of time, but the Big Ten and the SEC do not need Friday night games. And the other part, too, is is that Fox had better get its act together and what it's doing with baseball versus college football. They're paying $240 million to broadcast Big Ten football. They still haven't given us a kickoff time yet for Ohio State. Are you kidding me? You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.